Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who had a great tweet this week. He wrote, A dozen years ago, I covered a doomed Meadowlands golf and condo project and dealt extensively with Donald Trump and Michael Cohen. I wonder whatever happened to them. Uh, I have to say, John, I, I often edit your articles, and I sometimes have to make some changes and fix some typos. But please, promise me you won't ever refer to me as your fixer, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's a deal, Eric. Uh, yeah, this whole uh, melodrama, I guess I'll call it, is uh, surreal to me still. Um, I can't believe Cohen had been in that role less than a year, the time I was dealing with him, because he seemed like a lifer already at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, a colleague and I wound up meeting with uh, the two of them at the Trump Tower uh, one day in Manhattan. And uh, apparently each appointment is very limited in time, you know, as you can imagine. Uh, but my colleague and I were on a roll, I suppose. So uh, the meeting lingered and I vividly remember Cohen shaking his head as we left, you know, you guys must have gotten at least 25 minutes. Nobody gets 25 minutes, 15 <laughs> minute maximum, you know, and there's like a green room outside his office. So it felt all the more as if it was like a, a comedy club where the owner decided who gets to do extra material while Cohen was the manager of the appointments. You know, I mean, our story was serious. This is where the Pulitzer finalist nod came months later. And, mm-hmm. and the Jersey taxpayers had lost more than $50 million thanks to the previous management of that project and could have lost more if we hadn't started meddling, you know, but um, I had dealt with before and, and neither he nor Cohen, they never tried to muscle me in this uh, process. Uh, Trump even left a voicemail after the Pulitzers got announced. Uh, John, congratulations on being a Pulitzer finalist. If you ask me, I think you should have won. <laughs> oh, what do I know? So, so that was nice. Uh, I'll leave the current state of affairs uh, politically to the 1.7 million political podcasts on that that are probably posting this week. And that's, that's just right. in New York and New Jersey alone. So we'll, right. we'll, we'll focus on the gambling. I, I like to picture you anytime something uh, is going on with, with those guys. I like to picture you at home just sweating, praying, don't let my name get involved. Don't let my name get involved. Don't say my name. Although if they say John Brennan, it's probably not going to be you. It's probably the other John Brennan. Yeah, it's, it's the other one every time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 29 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 28 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And all you have to do is click the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode again. Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later on the podcast, we'll be speaking with our colleague, U.S. Bet COO, Robert Delafav. You, my co-host, Eric, uh, broke a story this week about a massive slots play in the New Jersey online casino scene that saw a group of Advantage players uh, beat the sites for almost a million dollars, which is an amazing story. Uh, Robert contributed to the reporting, obviously, and has expert insight into that world of Advantage play. So he'll join us to explain the nuances of uh, the whole process. Uh, but first, as usual, we've got lots of news to discuss this week, so let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We open the news segment with a major deal announcement between two of the biggest names in gambling, Caesars and DraftKings. On Monday, the two companies announced an agreement under which Caesars will provide DraftKings with a land-based partner to help the DFS giant and now sports betting giant, operate in states in which Caesars has a casino. And in return, Caesars gets an equity stake in DraftKings. Uh, There are Caesars properties in 14 states. Several of those have legal sports betting. Several more have legislation for sports betting in the works. 
and this particularly feels like a vital step forward for DraftKings in Nevada, where it hasn't even offered DFS since 2015. This is a massive deal in terms of the combined player database and combined brand recognition. What do you make of it, John? And where are you setting the line on how many days before FanDuel announces a deal of its own with a major brick-and-mortar brand? Uh, well, of the uh, uh, topics you mentioned there, I don't think DFS in Nevada is that big of a key angle overall. Uh, not that many people live there, let's be honest. And right. there's so many other money-risking options out there, shall we say. Um, but this deal sets up the two companies, uh, Caesars and DraftKings, for decades in my mind. I think it's they're just brilliant on both of their parts. Uh, both DraftKings and FanDuel have proven their bona fides in acting aggressively in a lucrative New Jersey sports betting market. We've seen that. Um, where established casino brands have not been as nimble. So uh, I give Caesars credit. You know, They have three of the nine Atlantic City casinos, and uh, they obviously noticed uh, what DraftKings has gotten done in New Jersey, and uh, I think they've been wise to partner up. And yeah, I assume FanDuel's already been uh, dancing with some traditional casino brands as well. Um, it has been an odd history of DFS in the U.S. in the past six, seven years, if you think about it. Um, but the stars are now aligned for those casino companies to get a big jump card on casual sports bettors by just gaining access to DFS player databases. So um, a lot of turbulence, but now it seems settling in. And I think the uh, the big casinos and the big DFS players are going to get together. You know, I, I think of how many whales out there are continuing to bet with illegal offshore books, and we know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are so many more minnows who don't want to go there. And DK and FD are the, the liaison, really, to, to getting the access to that. And I think it's a little bit underrated by those who just focus on, well, you know, the, the guy who bets $100,000 a game on, you know, Know, on some offshore site yeah they're out there and that's big money but you know little money times thousands and thousands and millions and millions it adds up too so i think this is a big deal yeah that, that's a great point the, the casuals really have you know sort of sort of a i don't want to call it a trust uh of of DraftKings and FanDuel, but just a familiarity and a comfort with with those names and those brands at this point that uh yeah the the minnows as you say are are, are going to be they're going to flock to the names they know uh and and so it makes a lot of sense on that front and and important and interesting to me subplot here is that caesars has apparently decided to go with its own branding not DraftKings, for its pennsylvania online sports book despite the success of the DraftKings brand in new jersey so it seems DraftKings will only get its brand in states in which multiple skins per site are available um that's that's the speculation so it just seems a little odd. You know, Pennsylvania is about to become this major online sports betting state. Um, I say about to become, although really seems we're three or four months away. But still, that that's pretty close in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but anyway, there might be no DraftKings sportsbook availability in Pennsylvania, which as a player who lives in Pennsylvania, it doesn't bother me. Uh, their lines tend not to be very player friendly. I'll have other options, uh, but still it, it's a major development and it's great news for FanDuel, Parks, Sugar House, et cetera, if they don't have the DraftKings brand to compete with in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I would think that had to be the most difficult uh, decision for Caesars and DraftKings to deal with. Um, you know, Jersey, there's multiple, and other states are going to have multiple, I think, options. Um, when you can only pick one, um, it kind of shows you that Caesars is big, really big. You know, right. <laughs> uh, DraftKings is is huge, and they spend you know hundreds of millions of dollars overall on uh, marketing and all that, and then they seem so big, and then if we need a reminder, Caesars is bigger. Yep. And, and, you know, whatever DraftKings ends up missing out on in Pennsylvania, this deal with Caesars 
is likely to help help them out in Illinois and Indiana, among many other states, you know, if and when those states pass legislation and get up and running for, for purposes of playing the long game. This deal really seems to make sense for both sides. Yeah, two winners here. All right. Our next story, uh, we've talked a lot on recent episodes about legal Academy Awards betting in New Jersey, and now the first year of it is in the rearview mirror. And the big story is clearly Yorgos Lanthimos, a name nobody was talking about before Sunday afternoon. Lanthimos directed the movie The Favorite, and he was about a 40 to 1 or 50 to 1 long shot at the start of the day, while Roma's Alfonso Cuaron was about a 20 to 1 slam dunk favorite to win Best Director. But then an offshore sports book reported that big bets were coming in on Lanthimos. The odds started closing. The rumor mill was churning about someone having inside information. It was getting bet down everywhere, and books started taking it off the board. Shortly before the Oscars, some books put Lanthimos back up, but at short odds. For example, BetStars made him 3-1. to one. And at that point, you could get a decent price on Quaron. He was only about a minus 500 favorite. In the end, uh, late in the Oscars broadcast, the envelope was opened and Quaron won, meaning all the Your Ghost buzz was wrong. Uh, it all worked to the sportsbook's advantage, uh, not so much for the betters. Theories abound from the offshore book making it all up to cause chaos for the legal books in the U.S. to just somebody having bad information and it catching fire. John, do you have a theory? And did you manage to get a bet down and lose a few bucks on Your Ghost? I'm thinking of the movie already. It's going to be something about Yorgos, I suppose. But um, uh, no, this sort of feeding frenzy is not really uh, my style. So I passed. Um, OK, good. It, it just it appears to me a couple of social media influencers are enough to take all this sort of thing viral. So maybe I'm naive, but I'm not convinced on the conspiracy angle. Uh, we've seen before things that are supposed to be a big deal. They don't quite reach the uh, the level that expected and other times some minor little thing goes goes crazy on the internet so uh, there already were reasonable reasonably modest maximums in New Jersey which is the only state that took legal Oscars action and we know that won't change now and obviously the uh, you know if you're betting offshore you know you're you're taking your chances so uh, too bad um, I was surprised Nevada didn't match the uh, Oscar betting in New Jersey but maybe after 70 years they kind of know what they're doing after all yeah uh, reportedly the most you could win on any Oscars bet was $1,000. Now, I don't believe that proved to be quite true because uh, one person in our work slack said he got a $50 bet on Yorgos at 33 to one. So that would have paid $1,650. But still, if the, there were limits, at least in that ballpark, that's a good thing for situations like this. Um, and, and those limits make me pretty much rule out one possible theory, uh, you know, in, in cases where the lines move, you might think it's Sharps moving the line and, and losing some money intentionally so they could win big by betting the other side after the line move. In this case, that would mean they wanted to bet Quaron when he got to minus 500. But with these modest limits, there's just no way in hell the Sharps would perceive enough upside to enact that strategy. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll call it a net positive because it uh, it just reinforces, as you mentioned, that the uh, the maximum uh, win on something like this should probably be pretty low. This is a novelty. It's a good way to get casual uh, bettors or even people who don't usually bet at all uh, in interested. So it's good for the industry. But uh, you know, I don't I don't think you need to have a high potential winning numbers here. And if you avoid it, as you say, the sharps are going to avoid it too. Yeah. And this story, I think, teaches uh, everyone a valuable lesson about chasing what might be a ghost. You know, if you don't have the inside information yourself, uh, you're just trusting that someone else's inside info is good. That's dangerous. And so, you know, a few people uh, without it costing them too much, uh, maybe learn that lesson. 
Well, they they went all in on your ghost. So (laughs) what can I I tell you? (laughs) Right. All right. For our third and final story this week, we turn to good old Major League Baseball, which, as reported by ESPN's David Purdom, sent requests to several states this week, including Nevada, Pennsylvania and Mississippi, requesting that they not allow betting on spring training games. None of the other sports have a particular problem with betting on preseason games, but baseball believes it has, quote, heightened integrity risks in the preseason because teams aren't necessarily motivated to win, which is true of every sport's preseason games. The Nevada Gaming Control Board denied MLB's request, uh, but Pennsylvania quickly caved, at least temporarily, uh, and asked sports betting operators to pause on spring training games while the PGCB examined the issue Uh, And Mississippi said it was considering the request as well. John, what do you think is motivating MLB here? And do you think they have a decent argument? Yeah, apparently New Jersey has been asked about this, too, and they've done nothing so far, which is uh, uh, a rare case of New Jersey diplomacy. But I don't Mm -hmm. think they're going to make any changes. (laughs) You know, it's a reprise of the same problem that the league's experienced with integrity fees. uh, And maybe soon with the 150 million in damages that the New Jersey horsemen want for winning that PASPA saga at the U.S. Supreme Court last year. You know, I understand the abstract concept that government endorsement of gambling could be ruinous to sports leagues that in an abstract world, I definitely get it. But in the real world, Nevada's had it for all these years and I don't see any true harm that has come to them. Uh, Major League Baseball was complaining about Nevada casinos offering spring training games last year or the year before. Uh, no. So right. why are they doing it now? Um, I think just because more states have legalized it and uh, they want to sort of uh, – Put the genie back in the bottle. Um, now, I think betting on these games is weird, frankly, and uh, limit, <laughs> mo- modest limits again, please. Yep. But um, it's here to stay, and, and I, I'm not sure why MLB went in this direction. Um, it, it's it's not going to be well noticed other than them complaining about it. That's Now people know that you can bet on a preseason game uh, or spring training game. Right. Uh, I didn't even know that until <laughs> I heard the story the other day. So, uh, and we're in the industry, so um, they're just bringing attention to something that – doesn't need any attention on it. Yeah, that's interesting. Inadvertently uh, getting good press for preseason or uh, spring training sports betting uh, for baseball. Uh, but what a shocker that the uh, Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board is being cautious here. Um, my take is, uh, you know, don't don't let uh, MLB bully you. Uh, but exactly as you said, keep the limits small. Do what New Jersey did with the Oscars. Uh, I, I would have zero problem with the Pennsylvania board telling operators that nobody can bet more than $100 on a preseason game or something while they consider MLB's request and, and explore the integrity of the situation. Because um, once you do that, uh, once, you, once you've established that the limits are low, MLB no longer has a leg to stand on in asking the betting to go away because, you know, no coach is going to monkey with his preseason lineup over some tiny bets his friends made. You know, you're not going to get a Tim Donaghy situation if the limits are small. Yeah, it's ironic just because if you think about it, the players are sort of limbering up for a month and getting you know more intense. And as the, as the preseason goes along, they're they're throwing harder pitches. They're focusing more on stealing a base or whatever. And frankly, the gamblers are doing the same. You know, they can't bet too much. And so they're they're just sort of throwing it out there, seeing what happens. If it doesn't go well, just like a, a preseason, an all-star pitcher doesn't care what his ERA is. You know, he just right. wants to make sure his arm's healthy. And the gamblers are kind of doing the same. Like, oh wow, I'm I'm I'm, I'm picking this, you know, home road or or you know who the starting pitcher is or or other 
uh, aspects and it's not working so well, but that's okay because it's only the preseason. I'm not betting much money. And then when the regular season starts, the pitchers go all in and so do the gamblers. So uh, I think in a way it's it's sort of a, a nice synergy for, for both sides. So let's just stick with it. Yeah, uh, although, uh, you know, the, I guess the one thing for small limits, the, the counterpoint is that people – can still bet the games big on the black market. Um, so, you know, it, it always seems like the leagues and the anti-gambling crowd never think about the black market when coming up with uh, their their stances, and that, that'll persist no matter what you do. But, um, you know, in, just in terms of Pennsylvania, the margins are going to be small enough as it is with that tax rate. I, if people want to add a little to the casinos and the state's bottom line by betting on preseason baseball, I say let them. Yeah, and if 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 somebody's betting big money on a uh, a spring training game, uh, you know, I I I don't worry about that one. Your your uh, philosophical point is absolutely 100% true, and all legal sports betting entities have to keep that in mind. But in this case, if somebody wants to bet 50 grand on a spring training game, that's their problem. I'm not going to worry about it. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. I wrote a story this week for NJOnlineGambling.com that went a little bit viral. Uh, Not a lot viral, but at least a little viral. It was an exclusive about an advantage player who discovered an exploit in an online slots game called Ocean Magic, told several of his friends, and together they beat the casinos for $900,000 inside a week. I would never have known about this story if not for my colleague Robert Delafave, who is part of the Advantage Play community and was the first journalist to find out about the Ocean Magic score, and he contributed to the reporting on the article. And Robert joins us now, making his triumphant return to the podcast after an appearance way back on episode two. Robert, welcome back to Gamble On. Thanks for having me back, guys. So the basic idea of the exploit they found was that the board would start with a wild bubble in a particular spot, first column, second row, and having that wild bubble there gave them a winning expectation, and then it would repeat at every bet denomination available. How unique was this opportunity? In other words, have you heard of flaws in games like this before, or was this something special? Online in New Jersey, I have not seen it, um, but it does harken back to the uh, brick-and-mortar casinos where they do have several of these. I mean, there's at least a half a dozen um, of what they're called. They're independent trial slots where the state of the previous spin dictates what the next spin is going to look like. Now, the thing about the land-based casinos is that typically – on these penny slots, you have like maybe five denominations you can choose from. So ranging from, let's say, 40 cents to about three bucks, maybe five bucks, maybe a little higher, as high as 20, maybe even. But nothing close to what these online casinos in New Jersey were offering to really um, be able to have a really big score. Okay, so so that's what's unique about it more than more than anything else. Um, it is just the, the fact that it went up to $3,000 a spin is, is what's really unheard of to you as, as someone who's familiar with advantage play. Right. You didn't see too many of these. Um, you don't even see too many online slots that go to the 3k, um, at best 500. about the max, maybe a thousand. And, and some casinos did, they do have like some leniency over what denominations they can offer. 
for a game, uh, I think believe Golden Nugget in particular offered three thousand. Some offered one thousand. But you have to remember too that there are denominations that are also high, but not the max. So if, if it goes up to three thousand, there's also like a, a thousand, a two thousand, a fifteen hundred, um, and in that range. So there's actually quite a few spins that are in the four-figure territory online, and that's what made the the edge so significant. If they're dealing with a like a hundred twenty-six percent edge, which I believe it was in the first spin, mm-hmm. uh, three thousand dollars spin—that's worth four thousand bucks or more. Yeah, you know, Robert, this reminds me uh, before your guys' time, I think, but there's a game called Press Your Luck, a game show in the '70s or early '80s, I think, and um, it was a whammy thing where the board would spin around in, in random sequencing, seemingly random, and you would hit a button and you'd hope that you didn't get the whammy that would bankrupt you, basically, you know, like Wheel of Fortune with the bankrupt sign. And this guy, in the early days of like uh, you know being able to tape the uh, TV shows, uh, he had figured out that the sequence wasn't all that random, and so that if he waited to the exact time where it kind of jumped between a couple spaces and he hit the button, he would win every time. So, so it was kind of comical in retrospect because the, uh, if you watch it on TV, the guy's over a hundred thousand dollars and he's risking everything. And the host is terrified. You know, why are you risking all this money? Of course the guy has zero risk at all. So he keeps playing and playing and, uh, they figured out that they couldn't take his money away because he didn't cheat per se. Uh, you know, Phil Ivey would be happy to hear, but, um, <laughs> as far as this goes, is this story big enough to make slot machine manufacturers and casinos you know, get back in the, you know, we're only going to let you play games we know you can't beat, or, or is this just going to blow over and somebody might have another chance advantage-wise down the road? Well, let me say first off that I'm not too young not to remember <laughs> Press Your Watch from my childhood. Same, 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 same here. I, I, I was going to say, uh, I don't know whether to be uh, insulted or, or complimented that he thought we were too young. I'm going to go with complimented here, okay. but um, I did watch that show pretty religiously in the, uh, the 80s. I loved it. Um, great show. But um, and I remember that specific. I've watched it like on YouTube. That specific guy, I think it was 1985 or something, when he went on the run. And and part of the reason was like you said, it's not completely random. It's based on what's called a random seed. So there's only certain patterns that once you recognize those patterns, you can you know exploit it. And that's kind of the basis of uh, online slot advantage play, which is kind of becoming a big thing these days. Um. Because nowadays, well, blackjack's kind of figured out by the casinos. They know what to look for. It's hard to camouflage. Um, video poker pay tables, which was the golden goose of advantage play in the 90s, they figured that out as well, and they lowered the denominations. They changed the pay table. So that's not really an option anymore. But getting back to your question, will the operators kind of look at this? I, I don't know. It, it, it harkens the question, why was it there in the first place? IGT mm. had to specifically put those wilds there on the first spin. Someone, there's no way they didn't know about it because it's the first spin. Um, it's set in a very obvious location. Now, why? Why is the question? Was it there to incentivize players? I don't know. Um, maybe it was a mistake. I, I don't feel like it was, but it could have been there to incentivize players give them like a nice first spin that's going to be lucrative. That's one possibility. And I don't think they'll be doing it anymore um, in subsequent games. Or uh, if they do, they'll be, you know, limiting that edge. But clearly something either fell through the cracks or was intentional. And I'm leaning towards the latter here. Yeah. And, you know, even if it was intentional, I guess maybe what they didn't foresee was 
people then going up the denominations, hitting it over and over. I mean, it feels to me like one of those, I, I don't, you've played uh, online slots uh, much more than I have. I've, I've really never done it. Is it common that you sort of pick your denomination? I'm a, I'm a $1 a spin kind of guy and you're just going to stay there. Uh, so they sort of figured people will get, you know, if it's, if it was intentional, this, this is all uh, under right. that, that hypothetical with, was the thinking that, it's only going to benefit each person on their first spin. And then from there, they'll lose at the rate a player is supposed to lose. Right. And I think that's an interesting point. I think the, the obviously the casual player who's just there to take a few spins is not going to even think to raise the denomination, uh, you know, past a couple of bucks. And they're probably not even going to notice, you know, they might notice it in their bankroll a little bit. Hey, I, you know, went on the first spin, but other than that, they're not going to think too deeply about changing if I change the nomination, is it going to is it going to be beneficial to me? And what these guys did, what's different, is that um, they had a significant bankroll and they had a significant amount of players. Even one guy doing this on one casino, even if you you know have that big edge, how much is it going to result in? Right. You have a hundred bucks in your account, a couple hundred bucks in your account. What's the most you're making off this? Fifty bucks, a hundred bucks, maybe two hundred. It needs a really concentrated effort of multiple accounts and multiple and a large bankroll and to really have enough spins because you only have the advantage of four spins and you have to have a, you have to create enough spins where that advantage, uh, that volatility that's present in slots kind of evens out. So where you're actually getting what you're supposed to be getting in regards to return. If they just had one guy doing it, well, the volatility is all over the place because you only have four spins. Right. So, over time, that's not going to really, you know, be a, that's really risky. And, a, and an online advantage player is not going to want to incur that kind of risk. So that's why the uh, the one who noticed it launched a very coordinated effort, it seems. Right. And that's why they were able to score that million dollars. So one of the reactions I saw to the story on social media was that a lot of people were unaware of the existence of these advantage players. Uh, for instance, uh, Adam Levitan, the host of the excellent Daily Fantasy Edge podcast, retweeted the story with the comment, didn't know there were people out there grinding edges in slots. Uh, and then uh, one time uh, DraftKings millionaire maker winner Matt Smith responded to him. I have multiple friends who have quit poker to play slots for a living. You'd be shocked how many people do it. Um, and of course, one of the people I interviewed for the story, who was identified as Max, was a poker player who became an advantage player instead. So my question for you, Robert, is how big is this community and how easy or hard is it to make a full-time living as an advantage player? I'd say it's the biggest growing community out there. Um, and that's for reasons I specified before is that with the traditional um, advantage games, which were, you know, uh, uh, blackjack for one and video poker for another. And, and of course, regular poker, all of those to lesser or more degrees have gotten harder and harder to take advantage of because the casino has been all over these games for like, you know, 30 years. Um, and also that's kind of coupled with the, the explosion of these new kinds of slot machines. Now you have the skill gate, the skill based games that are popping up here and there. They're not too popular and they're not designed to provide players an edge, even though they, you know, they, they tout themselves as uh, skill games, <clears throat> but players have found a way to get around that. And then you also have the dependent trial games, which weren't possible 
until the technology got to a certain point. So once it did, it was meant to be like kind of this cool nuance to keep you on the game longer and longer because, oh, well, I have this wild in the third column now. I didn't want to take this spin, but I'm going to take it now because it seems like this is a good opportunity. Hmm. And that's where it sort of stemmed from. And there's other ways to gain advantages on online slots as well. Like there's progressive must hits where a slot will say it has to hit payout of $5,000 um, by a certain point, And it has like a rolling meter going up and up and up. And if it gets really close, then a player will jump on that. And that, that one's pretty obvious, but these dependent trial ones are pretty new. I'd say they're like maybe in the last few years and maybe there's like 10 of them now. And, you know, the, the guys will scour the casinos looking for, uh, you know, slots in an advantageous state. And that's kind of where it stems from. So it's getting really popular. And on the table game side, the games that are getting popular are non-blackjack games. They're more like three-card poker where they'll try to seek out a weak dealer and see the bottom card. And you see that bottom card, it gives you a massive edge as to what you can play and what you should fold. Hmm. Um yeah, so those are the games that are kind of coming up now, the games you wouldn't think of, and it's kind of like a new like 2.0 version of advanced plays. These guys are smart. You know, they're always going to figure it out, and they're always going to be one step ahead of the casinos that we just saw. So that's kind of where we're at right now. But yeah, in, in, uh, in regards to your question, yes, slots I would say, is the biggest growing community. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert, we haven't talked on the podcast in a long time, so I uh, wonder what stands out to you most in the in the post-May 14, 2018 Supreme Court ruling about sports betting uh, on another topic. Um, just as an example, is eight states so far about the number you might have figured? Will we see a lot more in 2019? Is online sports betting about to rocket forward? Um are there more sports sports being offered in general uh, in these states than you figured? You know, what's uh, anything stand out to you about uh, the new landscape? You might have to send me an email list of all those questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of the states, I, I think that's about right. I think I expected anywhere from six to ten in the first, uh, you know, let's say eight to ten months, and or by the time the Super Bowl came around, I think we we're right we're right around there at eight. So. That's pretty on par. I think the biggest surprise to me is is with the current legislation, A, how many states are involved. And we're seeing movement in what? I I think I can't even keep track at this point. It's got to (laughs) be in the high teens or low 20s. I believe there were like 79 bills introduced in one week um, a couple weeks ago. And it's just insane. Uh, And some of the emerging states that we're seeing, like Indiana, uh, that's a big surprise to me. Kentucky, I never expected that. You know, all these Midwestern states that are kind of coming into the fold. Um, big surprise there. And I guess a lesser surprise is that they're not, none of them are really doing it the right Maybe I shouldn't be surprised at this at all, but very few are doing it the right way, in my opinion. Um, you have states that are going no mobile, and, you have, and just a little better than that, you have states that are going in-person reg. And I don't think that works in most states. I think it works in Nevada because it's a very unique state in terms that at the population centers are inundated with casinos, but in every other state, that's not really the case. Maybe Mississippi, I guess, but um, I think that's a big problem because we've seen the, what's happened in New Jersey where it's 80% online right now. And I believe that number at the end of the year is going to be 85 or 90. 
Maybe even that's wow. conservative, but wow. You know, so I like you need to see these bills come with more online. Legislators are really kicking themselves in the foot by not introducing statewide online. So that I'd say was probably my biggest surprise that of these twenty states that are kind of looking at sports betting, we're seeing maybe, I don't know, maybe two or three really that are really pushing the envelope on statewide mobile. So that's one thing I'd like to see change in two thousand nineteen would be that. All right. Uh, well, uh, you are now in exclusive company, Robert. You are only the third two-time guest in Gamble On history, joining sports better Brad Feinberg and, of course, Adam Small. Anytime you can have your name mentioned alongside Adams, it's a win, right? <laughs> oh, that's an honor I'm, I'm, I'm bestowed to have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, great stuff. Th- thanks for coming on again, Robert. Thank you so much, guys. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. The winning streak is over. The bankroll took a hit this week. Uh, not quite a full-on bloodbath, but it was undoubtedly a bad week. Uh, first, let's talk about the Oscars. Uh, we went one for three on our bets and were on both the right and wrong sides of the two major upsets. Uh, We lost $50 taking a shot on Bradley Cooper at plus 2,200. No big deal there. But we lost 480 with what was supposedly a sure thing on Glenn Close at minus 480. Uh, One of the biggest single bet losses we've suffered with our bankroll. I heard it referred to this week as the biggest major award upset at the Oscars in 12 years. Uh, Thankfully, we also had $50 on Green Book to win Best Picture at plus 450 odds. So we salvaged our Oscars night to a degree, by winning $225 back on that one. Uh, moving on to sports, John's golf streak ended in ugly fashion this week <laughs> as $100 on John Rahm to finish top 10 and another 50 on Rahm to finish top five went by the wayside. Uh, it, it happens, of course. Any regrets there, John, or do you stand by the process? Yeah, you know, I, I taped the first round, and on the front nine, one of the announcers mentioned in passing that, oh, I talked to John Rahm the other day, and he said he's, he's kind of unhappy with the severe slope of these greens. Uh, in Mexico. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's not going to be good. Uh, I look for a cash out because this is a million dollar arm, 10 cent head guy, as they talk about in baseball. Mm. And I knew he had no chance, but um, I guess I didn't bet enough to qualify. So I was a dead man walking all weekend. And uh, on the karma end, I I did get greedy with the top five picks. So uh, uh, I'm chasing by that, but otherwise I'll stick with the process. Okay. Um, And John also had a swing and miss on the AAF's Orlando Apollos. We lost $110 when they failed to cover the 15 and a half point spread. Uh, there was an unexpected complication to your plan of betting against Christian Hackenberg, right, John? Yeah, I think this is my first complete wipeout uh, week ever. But um, yeah, so the Apollo start with the ball, 75 yard touchdown in, in two minutes. Hackenberg throws an interception on his first pass. Very shocking. Uh, Orlando goes to the five yard line right away. Um, and I'm ready to head to the payout window. Uh, wait, <laughs> only a field goal. Nothing else in a brutal first half. I mean, I had to ice down not only my thumb, but uh, my uh, fast forward button because we were uh, <laughs> we're working really hard to get through, get through to there. Uh, and then terror just struck as the third quarter started. And I see Zach Mettenberger. I mean, he's 0-10 as an NFL starter, but what a massive upgrade, a quarterback from Memphis. Uh, I knew I was in trouble. Uh, midway through the fourth quarter, I was up 12 points in spite of uh, Steve Sparger somehow being 0-3 on two-point attempts, which was keeping me from a cover. Uh, might only need two of those. Um, 
And then Mettenberger throws a TD on a third and 19, and I wish I'd gone money line. <laughs> All right. Well, on the plus side, uh, I did stay hot on boxing. Uh, I put $100 on Chris Eubank Jr. to beat James DeGale by decision at plus 270 odds, and Eubank won a decision. So we picked up $270 there, uh, though I gave $20 back with a losing bet on the draw. Uh, also, our Celtics over-under bet is officially a loser, as they are now on a four-game losing streak. Uh, they cannot win 58 games, so with 20 games still to go in the season, it's over. We're out $330. Uh, the good news is I get to return to my natural state of rooting against the Celtics every game with all my heart. Uh, but anyway, all in all, counting the Celtics' result... We lost $645 this week, so we are now up 1473 overall, and we have $530 on hold in futures bets, leaving us $10,943 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I don't think we've done this yet, unless I'm forgetting something, uh, placing a single-game bet on an NBA spread uh, with a weekly podcast the NBA is not like the NFL, where you know the lines all week. Um, but in this case, I waited until Thursday morning to, to decide on, on what I was going to bet. Uh, found the line. So I'm betting on one of tonight's games. I like the Warriors to cover as five-point favorites at Orlando. I watched the end of that Golden State-Miami game last night. Uh, just a brutal ending for the Warriors with that crazy Dwayne Wade shot. Uh they're nip and tuck with Denver for the number one seed in the Western Conference. I know they want home court in the playoffs. They're going to be motivated. Uh, they also have DeMarcus Cousins back, who had the night off on Wednesday. Uh, Orlando is also going to be motivated. They're fighting for a playoff berth. But you look at the talent on these rosters, and they are miles apart. Uh, for the Magic to win or even keep it close, they would need a, a letdown game from the Warriors. And after what happened last night in Miami, I don't think they're getting one. So I'm putting $110 on the Warriors at minus five to win $100. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, do you want to know what the worst bet in the world is, John? I, I, <laughs> I saw this online. Uh, one site this morning had the Lakers at plus 2,200 to win the NBA title. Uh, they're, they're a big underdog to even make the playoffs, and yet they're still only plus 2,200. If someone puts a single penny on that at plus 2,200, that person is the world's biggest sports betting donkey. Yeah, you're allowed to check the schedule, and uh, if you do, it's not <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. But uh, by the way, I'll wait on my Spurs future bet till next week because I have a couple of tough home games. But uh, let's just say that I'm uh, uh, perhaps back from the dead on that. So yep. uh, I'm going back to the golf window though for my first pick, um, in spite of uh, Mr. Rom. Uh, <laughs> PJ Tour shifts to Florida, so I'm I'm going to now be restricting my picks to afternoon tee time players for obvious reasons. Um, but I like a well rested Ricky Fowler in a weak Honda Classic field anyway. Uh, he's playing in the afternoon. Uh, gets a few stars who are overextended. Uh, it, I want Ricky to place in the top 10 at 110 to win 100. Um, let's say the field is mostly overextended on a change of schedule. So you never trust Ricky to win, and he'll fade on the weekend. But he's in his own backyard. He's tasted success in South Florida before. Um, this course is in the general area where he lives. Uh, also where a massage parlor made the news recently, by the way. But, but, <laughs> I was uh, just going to ask, how close this, are they to Jupiter? It's, it's, yeah. it's pretty close. Uh, it's close <laughs> okay. enough. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> it's closer than a certain NFL owner a limo ride was to, to get there. But, right. um, yeah, so Ricky, 110 to win 100 on just placing in the top 10. I didn't like the top 20 odds on him. Uh, he'll either been a top 10 or I'll miss the cut. He's not going to finish 18th. Okay. Uh, for my next bet, uh, let's do our first baseball over under of the season. The Colorado Rockies line is 83 and a half wins. They won 91 games last year, 87 the year before that. 
They didn't make any big offseason moves, unless you count adding Daniel Murphy, uh, but they did hold on to Nolan Arenado. That's important. Uh, I know that the NL West division is getting a little tougher, but not so much tougher that they should slip eight games below where they were last year. So let's bet $220 to win 200 on the Rockies over 83 and a half wins. Uh, that actually makes some sense to me. I, I follow the National League pretty closely in my 36th year of uh, rotisserie baseball and <laughs> National League only. Uh, we don't trust that American League. It's, we're not sure it's going to take. It's only been 118 <laughs> years, I think, to, for the junior circuit. So we stick to the National League. But I like the sound of it. Uh, I'm going back to the AAF for some reason. Um, <laughs> I noticed that Memphis Express coach Mike Singletary, as not surprisingly, I suppose, put together a really strong defense. Uh, I was impressed with that last week. And with Mettenberger at the helm, it's, uh, you know, uh, in the Valley of the Blind, the one-eyed man is king, and and he's the uh, one-eyed quarterback. So um, I like to express a 110 to win 100 over the visiting San Diego Fleet, uh, who so far have seemed clearly to prefer home cooking in San Diego. So uh, we'll give it a shot. Uh, and what, was there a spread on that, or that was just? Uh, I'm, giving, I'm getting six and a half. Yes, getting six and a half. Okay, cool. You're um, taking on your demons head on uh, with both golf and <laughs> exactly. AAF after yes, a bad week. You're getting right back in there. Right back on the horse. Yes. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do the honors and take us out. Well, you know, Eric, for many of our listeners, March is about to come in like a lion and may go out like a lamb or, or vice versa. Um, I just want to revive some of the words of the late, great meteorologist John Belushi. Uh, he appeared on the first season of Saturday Night Live in 1976 and explained how it works in other countries, which I found enlightening at the time. Um, and he said in Norway, March comes in like a polar bear, goes out like a walrus. Uh, or take the case of Honduras, where March comes in like a lamb and goes out like a salt marsh harvest mouse um let's compare this to the maldive islands where march comes in like a wildebeest and goes out like an ant uh, a tiny little ant about that big uh then there's unlike the malay peninsula where march comes in like a worm-eating fern bird and goes out like a worm-eating fern bird in fact the whole year is like a worm-eating fern bird or consider the republic of south africa march comes in like a lion and goes out like a different lion one has a mane one has one doesn't have a mane so there is a difference um now certain parts of south america march comes in like a, a sea otter and it slithers out like a giant anaconda um there you can buy land real cheap you know uh, for that reason i suppose um there's a country where march hops in like a kangaroo stays in like a kangaroo for a while and then it comes out like a sm- slightly smaller kangaroo then for a couple days it's sort of like a cross between a frilled lizard and a common house cat um, then it changes back into a smaller kangaroo, and then it's like a wild dingo. And it, it, but it's not, it's not Australia. That's the amazing part. So uh, you think it would be, but it's not. Uh, there are nine different countries also where March comes in like a frog. It's not like a golden retriever. So um, <laughs> with that note, I'd just like to say until next time, gamble on.